Hello, and welcome to episode 29 of Design Curious Podcast. I'm your host and mentor, Rebecca Ward. And today we are talking about space planning. What is it? How you do it? What are some of the basics? And we'll get all into all of that. Last week, we had that great interview with Yvonne Hardy, and she talked about how she really loves the space planning side of design. And that is really more of her focus. And maybe that is for you, too. So let's talk a little bit more about space planning in today's episode. And before we get into that, I want to remind you that I have a download for you, actually two now. We have the roadmap to becoming an interior designer, so you can see all the steps along the way to becoming a designer. And then we also have the three things I wish I had known before I became an interior designer. So if that interests you, the link is in the show notes. And that will put you also on our mailing list so you get the podcast to your inbox every week and you won't miss an episode. All right, so let's talk about space planning. You're now listening to Design Curious, a place where you, creative one, are here to learn about what it really is like to be an interior designer. And I'm your host and mentor, Rebecca Ward. If you're worried about how to succeed in a creative career, if you're ready to learn your next steps to become an interior designer, and if you want the satisfaction of doing something you love every day, you are in the right place. Grab a coffee, a notebook, and let's dig into today's episode. Okay, so space planning. It is an activity that designers do that is an overlap with architects. So you could say that architectural designers, architects, and interior designers all do space planning. Designers will typically only space plan the inside of the house. But if they're working on a new build, they might actually be, you know, laying out the footprint of the house as well, working with an architecture firm to make sure it's within the parameters of the lot and the site. However, for today's purposes, we'll just be talking about Interior design space planning. And so where you want to start is with collecting information from your client. So say you're going to be redesigning their great room area. So you're going to want to collect information on how many people use the space and is it used on a daily basis? Is it for formal events, for casual events? Are there pets? Are there kids? So you're gathering all of that information to inform how you're going to lay out the space. When I was in design school and we were doing these exercises, um, oftentimes we were looking for relationships of activities in relation to each other. And so we would start with bubble diagram. And this was the step that I typically liked to skip. I really didn't grasp the value of creating a bubble diagram first. I wanted to just skip straight to the drafting of the spaces. I wanted to see how the scale was going to fit for the ideas that I had in my head. But it is, I can see in hindsight, a valuable step for really thinking through all of the things that you need to account for in the space and making a plan for your space plan. (laughs) So you can start out with the rudimentary bubble diagram that has basically large bubbles. And if you're laying out the house, for instance, you'll start with larger bubbles that represent priority activities. So the bubbles are scaled by the size according to how important they are. So if what's really important for this client that you're working for is to have 
the TV and the sectional and sofa as the priority because they, you know, that's their main activity. They have friends over, they're watching sports games and all these things. So you're going to have that area, the TV and sitting area be the largest bubble. And then maybe off to the side, you'll have like accent chairs, or you might have fireplace or access to the outside or something like that. So you'll start with these groups and make sure that you have all of the information that you need for that space. You also want to think about like path of travel. So in the same scenario, say they have a big group over to watch the Super Bowl, there's going to be people that need to get up and go use the restroom or people that maybe need to go outside, take a break, phone call or something like that. So you want to make sure your path of travel is clear and especially to the kitchen where they're going to get their snacks. So next, you're going to look at the path of travel, kind of draw arrows of which way people are going to go. You're going to keep making and refining your bubble diagram until it gets to be a more concrete layout. And then you can start doing your space plan. And naturally, I would say that this is happening a hand sketch, which is probably the best. It's really there's scientific proof by putting pen to paper, physically touching something that really solidifies and helps you think through the entire process. And so um, I would definitely recommend using it by hand drawing. Of course, if you can draw on a tablet and that works for you too, you'd rather have it that way. I think that would also suffice for this situation, but you're just going to do some simple spatial drawings at that point. Okay, so then once you've outlined pretty well in your bubble diagram how you want to lay out the space, then you're going to start working on your floor plan. And so typically you'll have an existing space that has parameters on it. So you've already taken measurements of the space, you know where your walls are and where the flooring breaks are, what the ceiling looks like, where your entry points are. And so you're going to have that all laid out and then you're going to start to place your furniture into your space. Oftentimes we'll start with generic sizes for sofas and tables and things like that just to see what would work in the space in a general size as pleasing to most people. And then after that, once we've solidified our floor plan, then we will go and select specific items and furniture pieces to use in the space. And then we'll go and put the actual dimensions in there to make sure it still really fits. Like say an average sofa is 36 inches deep, but the one that we selected for our client is 42 inches deep. We need to make sure that it's still fitting the scale of the space. And that's why scaled floor plans are so beneficial for really visualizing and knowing ahead of time how the outcome of your design is going to be in the space. If you didn't have a scale drawing and you only put in a 36 inch sofa, but then you go and purchase the 42, you might not have enough travel space and it might feel too tight in there. And so this is really an insurance to make sure that your design works and that your client is going to be satisfied with what you came up. It not only looks good, but it fits the space well. The other advantage of having a scaled floor plan is that you can lay out lighting. So say you put can lights or pot lights and do a layout on a grid that you can actually put a scale to. So when the electrician comes and says, well, how far away from the wall do you want this light installed? You can have your dimension line there. It says it's 36 inches or whatever it is you've decided is best for the space. You can center it over your furniture, make sure that there's adequate lighting for the task at hand. And again, if you're new, 
to space planning, you're going to want to pick up that book that I mentioned back in episode 17 called Human Dimensions. And that's going to really help you understand how wide your path of travel around the furniture needs to be. And then you might want to make a list of average sizes of furniture pieces. So like a eight foot sofa, that's 36 inches deep, or what size the queen mattress or king mattress is for a bedroom, um, a common side table or nightstand size, and just have a list of those, uh, which I did do when I was early days working for someone else and doing space planning for them because I just didn't know what what those average sizes were. And in order to do that initial layout, you really just want to be throwing some generic sizes in there because you have no idea yet what you want to pick for the space. You just want to make sure that your idea of the layout is going to work in a general sense. So having a list like that at your side will definitely help you move faster in your space plan and ensure that it is relatively realistic idea. Now, there's different programs you can use to help uh, you do the, your space plan. And of course, you can always go back to graph paper and use uh, a scale in that you could do one square equals one foot. That's a very common way to do it, depending on how big you want your plan to be. And so that's always a default you can go to learning to draft by hand. And I still would recommend if you're starting out as a designer to do some hand drafting because it really helps to solidify spatial relation in your head. And then as you get, go along and start transferring to the computer, you still have those skills. So what I use for drafting on the computer is AutoCAD Lite, and I've been using that for years. It suffices all the needs I have. I can share files with engineers and architects, and there hasn't been an issue using AutoCAD, but it is an expensive program. And so starting out, you might not be able to afford to use that, or you might not even know how to use that. And you might want a program that is free that you can start messing around in to really get your foot in the door for space planning and providing some kind of plan for your first few clients. There's a lot of software out there that you can use. Some is free, some is paid for. Um, I know SketchUp has a free version, and I dabbled in SketchUp early days. I haven't worked in it since for a while. We have had some interns come through um, using different programs, and one that our current intern is using is Homestyler. And actually, it's been really good. We had her practice out a rendering, a 3D rendering for a kitchen that we're working on just to test it and see how it would look. It actually turned out really good. So Homestyler, I would say, is probably a software you could use to start getting some drawings together and understanding spatial relation and, and space planning. But if you just Google space planning software, you'll come up with a whole list of different ones you can try and see what you like to use best. But eventually down the road, once you do have your business, you're going to want a software that's a little more unifying that is an industry standard. So I use, like I said, AutoCAD. Another one is Chief Architect. One that you can use if you're more into kitchen design and cabinetry would be 2020. But the, it's always changing. There's always new software out there. So even though there's a, the 3D option that you will eventually develop your plan into, I think it's important to be able to visualize while you're looking at a 2D plan, while you're looking at the floor plan, 
be able to kind of put yourself into that plan and see how the space looks before you've even elevated it into that 3D software. And that's a skill that you can develop over time. But I also think it is something that is intuitive for designers that we're able to see something and visualize how it's going to look in the end. Even if it's not like 100% clear, you have a general idea of how this room is going to look based on the floor plan. And if you're here today and you haven't had any experience in interior design or space planning, I have a few quick tips for you to take away so that you can get started on your space planning today. And a few things you want to keep in mind, um, you want to keep major walkways to at least 36 inches wide or 30 inches for a less frequently used path of travel. So if it's like going behind a sectional out to a slider you don't use very much, then you might use 30 inches there. I would say allow 15 inches between your coffee table and the sofa or chairs to avoid bumping shins when you're sitting down. Make sure the living room rug is big enough so that the front legs of the sofas and chairs can sit on the rug. Typically, we'll just have those front feet on the rug and then the back feet will be sitting off the rug and that way your feet are all the way on the rug if you're barefoot or whatever it's really more comfortable for the person sitting on the sofa or the chair. Dining room rugs should be large enough that you can push a chair back from the table and the chair is still sitting on the rug. Now this is not always something that's feasible and you also want to consider whether you want a rug underneath the dining table if it's like a kitchen table where the kids are going to spill everything under the sun on that rug (laughs) and you want to make sure it's of course kid-friendly durable maybe a ruggable or something like that or just no rug at all so sometimes I'll omit a rug in the kitchen table area because it's just going to get so much abuse bedroom rugs though should sit under the bed with at least 12 to 18 inches of rug showing on each side of the bed so that when you step out, your feet are on the rug fully and you have some nice cushy space, especially if you have hard flooring, a nice soft space for your feet when you get out of bed in the morning. Side tables and nightstands should sit either completely on or completely off the rug to avoid that wobble. So if you, so here's the situation where you don't want those front feet sitting on the rug typically because tables need to be level and if you set anything on it you don't want it to slide off. All right and then you also want to consider window sill heights when furniture is going in front of a window so you don't want to block the view if at all possible. So think about that you might want to pull the sofa forward away from the window and then you don't want to overpower the room with too many items or with a piece of furniture that's too large for the space. So we talked about scale, make sure that piece of furniture fits the space well. Then you'll also want to determine what the focal point of the room is and consider how your furniture lays out to address that. Does it have a TV, a fireplace? Are they together or are they split? And then if they're split, what is the priority for the client? Like, do they love fires in the winter and they want that to be kind of a cozy space and TV is not something they use very often? Or are you going to have to shift things around or remodel so that those are in the same focal point? You can't have two focal points in the room, though. (laughs) It just doesn't work if they're like on adjacent walls to have a split focal point like that. So you're going to have to decide or have the client decide what is the best for the way that they live. And also whether either of them are a priority or if they want conversation to be more the 
the focus of the room or the purpose of that room. So there you go, a few little tidbits on space planning, just brushing the surface and really practice and experience is key here. And uh, definitely would recommend that you spend some time doing it before you even get your first client. So you can space plan your own home all the time. And so (laughs) just run different scenarios for yourself and try that out. So that is space planning 101, I would say, just dipping your toe into understanding what space planning is, but hopefully you have a good idea of it now. And like I said, you're going to want to get those books um, that I mentioned back in episode 17. We'll put a link to the show notes there so you can see that book list and purchase those to help you on your way to becoming an excellent space planner. And of course, if you're needing some one-on-one help with this, please get into my design mentor. I am happy to work with you on any specific project you might be working on in school for yourself, for another person, and um, just give you some feedback on what you should do uh, for space planning. And in that program, I've even handed out some sample projects to people who just need to get some more experience in drafting and space planning and things like that. So if that interests you, go ahead and check out the link for my design mentor. I'd love to see you in there. Stay tuned. Next week, we'll have another great interview to help you discover if interior design is the career for you. And until then, stay creative. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode, please leave a rating and a review. This helps me reach other curious creatives like you. If you have a topic request or would like to contact me, simply head over to my website, rwarddesign.com or email me at podcast at rwarddesign.com.